Welcome to The Veteran Doctor. This podcast is for anyone interested to improving their knowledge on veteran-centric topics. Veterans have dedicated their lives to serving our country, so now it's our turn to serve them as they transition back into their civilian lives. We have discovered that there is a lack of knowledge on the availability of resources and how to properly navigate the systems available to veterans when they transition out of the military service. This podcast's purpose is to help bridge this gap of knowledge and guide veterans to resources that they so deserve. The Veteran Doctor is hosted by Dr. John Heinzelman, who has a master's degree in sports and performance psychology and a doctorate in psychology where he specializes in research. He is also a retired Army Airborne Infantry veteran with 22 years of service. So sit back, relax, and enjoy The Veteran Doctor. Good morning, veterans, family, and friends. Welcome back to the 13th episode of The Veteran Doctor. On this week's episode, we will discuss challenges that veterans face during their transition. We will also continue our fun facts of UBI, useful bits of information, and veteran news. So stick around for the program. Here we are. We reached another week, survived the weather that has faced us, we're getting through COVID and our daily challenges. Topic selection is always a challenge to ensure diverse and interesting topics are selected. So I've come up with the challenges that veterans face throughout their lives and as they transition into their civilian lives. Here are some of those challenges that veterans are currently experiencing. Number one, unpreparedness for civilian employment. Veteran employment challenges could be partly attributed to the lack of preparation for finding civilian employment when they left the military. Part of the lack of preparation for civilian job placement included unrealistic employment expectations. Almost all of the service providers interviewed described the veteran as lacking knowledge in the kind of jobs that would be available to them as they left the military. Veterans also had unrealistic expectations regarding the level they would enter the workforce and what kind of compensation that they would receive. Veterans leaving the military thought their military service would allow for job opportunities at the similar rank and pay as they were receiving during military service. This is not the case. Veterans often feel as though they had to start over completely and that their transition out of the military was not the steady progression of career advancement they expected. Despite this, veterans remain incredibly motivated and are willing to work their way up through civilian employment opportunities. But they also described what often happens to their veteran clients when these expectations are not met, they're faced with starting to at the bottom or at entry-level positions, their clients often become very frustrated. Number two, unaddressed mental health and substance abuse issues. A common thing for both barriers to employment and risk factors for unemployment for veterans with unaddressed mental health and substance abuse issues. Every veteran described these as significant challenges in finding employment. Many described this issue as often interconnected with clients using substances of self-medication for lingering mental health issues, most commonly PTSD and or depression. These problems manifest themselves in several ways concerning employment. 
First, they are relevant to the motivation in finding and keeping employment. Veterans have appeared not quite ready to address their mental health and substance abuse issues. Also, veterans with unaddressed mental health and substance abuse issues are challenging to place. One service provider described employers are very reluctant to hire a veteran if if an employer even slightly suspects a veteran may be experiencing mental health issues. Although this is most likely true for hiring civilians, the stigma of mental health issues that have come to be associated with military service appear to make employers mostly concerned when hiring veterans. Number three, continuation of military identity. One of the most common things across all veteran groups was the identification and expression of how a veteran participants continue to see themselves through a military identity. The impact of their training and military experience was still evident in their actions, behaviors, and thoughts, and their ability to relate to civilian friends, family, and employers. Almost every focus group participant described feeling more comfortable around those who had also previously served in the military. The military identity appears to be an additional barrier or challenge inhibiting veterans' ability to adapt and transition to civilian life, especially in gaining and maintaining employment. This was evident in their difficulty adjusting to civilian work culture. A clear theme that emerged from the focus groups was that even when veterans had secured work, many found it hard to maintain their employment as they had not settled well into civilian work, ethic, and cultures. Number four, criminal background and or dishonorable discharge. The most prominent theme from service provider interviews regarding the risk factors for unemployment in a veteran client was the criminal background and or dishonorable discharge. These veterans are most difficult to employ and the most at risk for chronic unemployment. Along with the unique challenges that come with finding veterans employment, criminal background and dishonorable discharge creates additional barriers, particularly with unwillingness of employers to hire these veterans and the lack of available jobs. Number five, stigma associated with hiring veterans. An additional theme from veterans was overcoming the stigma associated with hiring veterans. Service provider participants described reluctance for some employers to hire their veteran clients. This was most often attributed to concerns over mental health issues, long gaps in employment history, and an unwillingness to hire those with dishonorable discharges and or criminal backgrounds. Veterans were very direct about the stigma they perceived facing while trying to enter the civilian workforce. Veterans felt as though relying on their military service to potential employers automatically put them at a disadvantage. Most relayed employer concerns about possible mental health issues. Number six, veteran client age. When looking at specific risk factors for unemployment, veterans often brought up age as a significant factor that may make veterans susceptible to unemployment. However, there was a mixture of responses regarding the, of what age clients were most vulnerable. Some participants felt that older veteran clients were most at risk for unemployment. Reasons provided included older veterans who have outdated skills, have difficulty using technology, and are more likely to have been chronically unemployed for longer gaps out of the workforce. Other veterans felt that the younger generation of veterans are more likely to be at risk for unemployment. Younger veterans are more likely to have mental health issues, not be prepared to focus on gaining employment, not willing to get help, or at risk of creating long gaps out of the workforce that will make it difficult to be employed. Number seven, 
the availability of appropriate jobs. Veterans revealed the lack of availability in jobs appropriate to the veteran's skills and experience and pay a living wage to be a significant barrier for veteran employment. Veterans discussed that a lack of employment was particularly relevant for service providers that worked in rural areas. Many of the veterans reported that one of the challenges they face in finding employment is identifying available jobs that are appropriate to their skills and experience, but also pay them a living wage. Both pre-9-11 and post-9-11 veterans said that in their experience, the only work available to them is security for private companies, bars and nightclubs, fast food restaurants, and other low-skill positions. The lack of appropriate and fairly paid work impacted many veterans' motivations to apply for jobs and maintain work once offered a job. Hopefully, this helps you understand some of the challenges that other veterans are experiencing as they transition back into the civilian world. If we can understand these challenges, it will allow us to help these veterans get through them a little easier and maybe be there for them through these struggles. Anyway, I hope you have a great week. Please take care of yourself and other veterans.
All right, welcome back. We will now move on to our next portion of the program, which is UBI, useful bits of information, or depending on your perspective, useless bits of information. And our first one is, which movie managed to increase interest in becoming a naval aviator by 500%? Number one, Black Hawk Down. Number two, Iron Eagle. Number three, Top Gun. And number four, Tropic Thunder. The correct answer is Top Gun. In 1986, the epic movie love letter Top Gun was a huge hit with audience and still stands the test of time as an action movie. The Navy itself acknowledged that after the film's release, the number of people joining up to become naval aviators increased by 500%. Our next one is, which conflict saw the most American casualties in history? Number one, the Civil War. Number two, World War II. Number three, Vietnam. Number four, World War I. The correct answer is the Civil War. The Civil War was far and away the bloodiest conflict in the history of American battles, which does not make sense because Americans were fighting Americans. At least 618,000 soldiers fell in battle. The next most costliest was World War II with 405,000. In 1942, the military blacked out Los Angeles and fired 1,400 artillery rounds at what? Number one enemy aircraft number two friendly aircraft number three weather balloons number four birds the correct answer is weather balloons in february of 1942 1400 rounds of anti-aircraft artillery and 50 caliber rounds were fired off in the thousands at what was first believed to be enemy aircraft but later turned out to probably be a wayward weather balloon we say probably because no one really knows for sure, and it could literally be nothing based on the evidence. In what year did the Air Force separate from the Army? Number one, 1940, number two, 1942, number three, 1944, and number four, 1947. The correct answer is 1947. Prior to 1947, there was no individual Air Force in the United States military as it's known today. There were plans, of course, but they were part of what is known as the Army Air Corps, and pilots were therefore in the Army. In 1947, the Air Force was officially introduced. How many times was the United States formally declared war? Number one, five, number two, seven, number three, 12, number four, 19. The correct answer is five. Though the U.S. military forces have been involved in literally hundreds of conflicts, only five formal declarations of war have been issued. This includes both world wars, the Spanish-American War, the Mexican-American War, and the War of 1812. Technically, you can stretch the numbers to 11 as Congress declared war on different individual nations during World War I and World War II. Only one U.S. Navy ship still on the commissioned roster has been held captive by another nation. Do you know what it is? Number one, the USS Grant. Number two, the USS Pueblo. Number three, the USS Santa Fe. And number four, the USS Righteous. The correct answer is the USS Pueblo. In 1968, North Korea took the USS Pueblo captive, and to this day, 
it still is in their possession. It's moored in a river of North Korea, and they use it as a tourist attraction. Not that there's a lot of tourism in North Korea. Very few people ever become honorary Marines, but some do. Which ones of these earn that honor? Number one, Chuck Norris. Number two, Clint Eastwood. Number three, Bruce Willis. Number four, Arnold Schwarzenegger. The correct answer is Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is one of the number of celebrities who have become honorary Marines over the years. He joined the ranks of celebrities like Bob Hope and even Bugs Bunny, who holds the rank of Master Sergeant. How many five-star generals have there been in the history of the U.S. Army? Number one, two, number two, five, number three, eight, and number four, 13. The correct answer is five. The rank of five-star general didn't show up in the U.S. military till 1944. Five men earned the rank, including Dwight Eisenhower, George Marshall, Douglas MacArthur, Henry Arnold, and Omar Bradley. The rank was retired in 1981 after Bradley passed away. Under what circumstances can a Marine carry an umbrella in uniform? Number one, only officers can carry umbrellas. Number two, only in full dress uniform. Number three, only female Marines can carry umbrellas. And number four, all Marines can carry umbrellas. The correct answer is all Marines. Prior to November of 2019, only female Marines could carry umbrellas. Thanks to the rule change, now both male and female Marines can avoid dealing with soaking wet dress uniforms. In what year was the computer that coordinates the operation of the United States military arsenal built? Number one, 1976. Number two, 1985. Number three, 1999. And number four, 2018. The correct answer is 1976. The United States nuclear arsenal is controlled by an IBM Series 1 computer designed in 1976. It still uses an 8-inch floppy disk for memory storage and has been mostly obsolete for nearly 40 years. That said, it's pretty much impervious to hacking as a result. This system was supposed to be replaced in 2017. What it, was it? Good question. How many U.S. presidents served in the military before becoming president? Number one, 29. Number two, 31. Number three, 33. And number four, 34. Correct answer is 29. A total of 29 presidents have a history in the military, either in state militias or U.S. armed forces. Eisenhower earned the rank of five-star general, and Washington was posthumously granted with what is equivalent to six stars while Teddy Roosevelt earned the Medal of Honor. In what year did the U.S. military come into existence? Number one, 1772. Number two, 1775. Number three, 1776. And number four, 1782. The correct answer is 1775. A unified Continental Army came into existence by the act of the Second Continental Congress in June 14, 1775. That means the Army is actually came in to being before the United States was a real thing. Who went to battle in the first war in recorded history? Number one, Summer and Elam. Number two, Mesopotamia and Ezra. Number three, Egypt and Eckerd. And number four, Greece and Carthage. The correct answer is Summer and Elam. The first battles in recorded history between two armies was between Summer and Elam in the year 2700 BCE. 
The Summerlands defeated the forces of Elam. At around the same time, King Gigermish went to war as well. Which popular vehicle started life as a general purpose military vehicle? Number one, SUVs. Number two, scooters. Number three, Jeeps. Number four, ATVs. The correct answer is Jeeps. Jeeps originated as military vehicles during World War II and were called general purpose vehicles. That got abbreviated to GP and then evolved into Jeep as you know it today. How old was Major General John Lincoln Clem when he first tried to enlist? Number one, 75. Number two, 65. Number three, 14. Number four, nine. The correct answer is nine. John Clem tried to enlist in the 3rd Ohio Infantry when he was about nine years old in 1861. They turned him down, so he went to the 22nd Michigan, who initially turned him away, but then let him become a drummer boy. By age 12, he was a sergeant and a hero. They call it the Old Guard because it really is old. In what year did it form? Number one, 1776. Number two, 1784. Number three, 1791. And number four, 1800. The correct answer is 1784. The third U.S. Infantry Regiment, also known as the Old Guard, dates back to 1784. They may recognize this unit today for two of its most important ceremonial duties as either escort to the president or guards to the tomb of the unknown soldier. How much money does the entire world combined spend on military needs? Number one, 700 billion. Number two, 950 billion. Number three, 1.8 trillion. Or number four, 2.1 trillion. The correct answer is $1.8 trillion. Roughly speaking, based on 2018 estimates, the world's military budget was a whopping 1.8 trillion. About 37% of that was just a US which spends more than any other country in the world. The US military budget is about 698 billion as of 2019. And that concludes our UBI for this week. And we will move on to our next portion of the program, which is veteran news. And this week's veteran news is a study that concludes depleted uranium doesn't cause Gulf War illness. As reported by Megan Myers, in the decades since Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, veterans and researchers have strained to find a cause for the the myriad of symptoms known as Gulf War illness, with a strong suspicion that the depleted uranium used in armored piercing rounds created a toxic exposure with long-term health consequences. A study released Thursday from the University of Texas and UK's University of Portsmouth found that the inhaled fumes and dust from the rounds and tank armor is not the culprit. That depleted uranium is not and never was in the bodies of those who are ill at sufficient quantities to cause disease that will surprise many, including sufferers who have for 30 years suspected depleted uranium may be contributing to their illnesses. Studies have shown up to 25% of the 700,000 troops deployed in that conflict have suffered symptoms including memory and concentration problems, chronic pain and nerve system dysfunction, as well as fever, night sweats, and sexual dysfunction. 
Authors of the study are inclined to believe that low levels of exposure to sarin gas may be the cause, along with anti-nerve agent med medication and pesticides that troops were exposed to during the 1991 Gulf War. Finding causes is a nebulous game when it comes to so many options to blame. The Allies' own activities destroying an Iraq nerve agent cache or spraying pesticides literally on troops can be seen in hindsight as an inadvertent own goal and one to avoid in future conflicts. It is important to find the causes of conditions like these, even if it's, it takes a long time and the causes might be controversial. While those toxins have also been under suspicion, depleted uranium is also a major concern because the rounds and armor it's found in have continued to be, be used by troops and are included during the current war on terrorism. This theory is based on past research that found high levels of depleted uranium in troops with shrapnel injuries. Uranium is known to concentrate in kidneys and bones and then leach out through urine over the years, but those studies were not done on Desert Storm veterans. After conducting a study on 154 diagnosed Gulf War illness patients, we have not found any depleted uranium in any of those with the illness or any difference in the control group who were not on the battlefield, alongside knowing no law or substance remains in the body could be traced in the urine, proving depleted uranium is not linked to Gulf War illness. Past research has shown that depleted uranium does live in the bodies for years and then radiation and heavy metals are known to cause health illness. But there is no link when it comes to Gulf War illness. This concludes this week's Veteran News. We will move on to our next portion of the program, which is shout-outs. This section is reserved for recognizing new members to our podcast and partners or sponsors that support us in everything we do. We could not continue this podcast without everybody's support, so thank you for everything. There are no new members this week or sponsors, so please check out our next portion of the program, which talks about our sponsorship program. Do you want to be part of something bigger? Do you want to help veterans? Have you thought about helping the veteran doctor? As you may already know, the focus of the veteran doctor is to improve your knowledge on veteran-centric topics. The research and information dissemination process can be daunting with the maintenance of literature, books, websites, blogs, podcast episodes, and other administrative necessities. This ultimately takes time, resources, and marketing to reach and support veterans, as well as their very diverse needs. We are so excited about the process of podcasting and the potential impact it can have on the veteran population. To keep going and improve this podcast, we would tremendously be grateful to anyone who can support us in our expansion and growth. We are looking to enhance this podcast quality and would find it more manageable with a bit of support. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars a month worth of entertainment, we would greatly appreciate you investing in The Veteran Doctor. We offer different rewards for different pledge obligations, so please see what may fit your budget. Once again, we appreciate your support, and from all the veterans out there who benefit from this podcast, I'm sure they appreciate your support too. Every program must establish a goal and milestones to determine what is going to be done with the funding. The first goal we're going to reach is a monthly pledge of $500 collectively. The milestones are, number one, 
help pay for ongoing production costs, hosting fees for websites, blogs, and podcasts. Number two, help purchase rewards for patron supporters. Number three, offset marketing costs for websites, blogs, and podcasts. And number four, help buy new equipment and technology to improve podcast sound and quality. There are different rewards for each monthly donation amounts. The donation amounts range from $1 to $50 a month. The rewards include one or more of the following items listed depending on the level of monthly donation. Some examples of rewards may consist of, number one, a thank you on the show or website. Number two, a thank you email. Number three, early access to new episodes. Number four, show swag, t-shirts, bumper stickers, lapel pins, and a pen. Number five, a patron can read a short message on the show. Number six, call in as a special guest. And number seven, a patron can determine a show topic. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars worth of uh, entertainment, come on down and support the Veteran Doctor. As veterans, we have a lot of questions when it comes to transitioning out of the military. Or are you already out of the military and having trouble reintegrating? Are you having issues finding veteran resources? Or do you just want to learn more about veterans? Well, the Veterans Resource and Transition Guide may just be the solution for your issues. This book is available on Amazon.com and is in both ebook or paperback. It is a book written to help veterans with research, knowledge, and resources with their transition back into civilian life and beyond. Our society's current problem demonstrates that many veterans, as they transition out of the military, do not have the knowledge, training, or resources to reintegrate back into society properly. They do not know where to go, what to do, and do not even have a sufficient plan to survive. The purpose of this guide is to provide a one-stop and quick reference source of research, knowledge, and resources for veterans to easily reference to give veterans a better understanding of the dynamics of veteran issues, educate veterans on the process of transitioning out of the military, what to do once they get out, develop a plan, and provide resources to help make life a little easier during and after that transitional experience. Additional information has been added for our survivors' benefits for surviving widows, and a Military 101 class to help educate the civilian workforce on military culture and lifestyle. The guide's additional intent is to make it a living document by taking input from readers and providers on information and resources, providing an annual update to veterans on the ever-changing and developing process of transitioning and resources. This guide will provide resources of knowledge to veterans, helping guide them through their transitional journey. So grab yourself a copy today and get those resources you so deserve. Do you want to learn more about me? Maybe you uh, want to learn more about my new book or future books. What about our new veteran blog? Do you want to learn more about the veteran doctor? Well, my website may be your solution. 
My author website is up and is available for viewing at www.johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. This site will provide you with the latest and greatest information on me, my latest literary works, future works, my veteran blog, and this podcast, Veteran Doctor. A unique feature available on the website is the Veteran Blog. The Veteran Blog provides veterans with the latest up-to-date information on veteran-specific topics that affect everyday life, whether challenging or life-enhancing. The purpose of this site is to keep veterans informed and help improve knowledge quicker and on-demand. Subscriptions are available in monthly, weekly, and unlimited access depending on the veterans' informational requirements. The feature of this site will include special features, video, classes, depending on the subscriber access level. Please check it out and try our seven-day free trial. So as this week's episode comes to a close, we hope you enjoyed the information you gained on The Veteran Doctor. Remember, we welcome feedback on this podcast to help improve our quality and content. Or if you have any new ideas, please send them to info at johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. I hope you come back and visit us on our next episode. So until next time, take care. Be safe and enjoy your week. Have a good one.